How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have an awesome guest on today. I have Fred Stephen Smith, who's from Rainforest QA, founder and CEO. Wow, the journey that this man has had is unbelievable. Had to grow his business really high level, past eight figures. Had to completely tear down, redesign it, start over because of a pivot and because of one of the single biggest mistakes he shares that caused. I should say it's over like a seven-year period. You're not going to want to miss this so you don't make the same mistake. One of my favorite episodes absolutely blew me away with his insights. Check it out. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Fred Steven Smith. Fred is the founder and CEO of Rainforest QA. He's responsible for shaping the company's business direction, has lived in seven countries over the last two years, grew a business to eight figures plus, and then pivoted because of an adjustment to the needs of his customer. Fred, what's up, man? Happy to have you on the show. Thanks, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. I think our, and, and this has happened one other time, I think our pre-show might be actually longer than the recording. So we're, we're going to have to be preaching, man. This is awesome, though. So let's do a real quick revenue rundown and give everyone a sense of kind of where you're at in the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Uh, we just crossed a mill, the big milestone. Nice. So you crossed a mill and you were, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. What's your primary go-to-market strategy right now? Uh, self-serve. Okay. Self-serve. Yeah. So product-led growth. Um, yeah. How large is your team? Uh, overall team is about 40 people. Um, we have one one salesperson. Okay. Wow. Nice. Uh, and then walk us through your solution in a couple sentences. Yeah. Uh, Rainforest is a no-code QA platform. So we replace QA teams and we give the QA uh, platform to PMs and developers to do QA themselves. Um, and yeah, most of our customers are, are fast growing early stage startups. Wow. That's awesome. And are you bootstrapped or funded at this stage? We are very funded. You're very funded. <laughs> Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Over the lifetime of the company, we've raised $43 million so far. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So in light of that, can you give a little context? <laughs> Cause I know most people are like, okay. You know, 40 million yeah. plus in funding, you're at a million in AR. What the hell is going on there? So can you give us some context, man, in terms of how you got to this point? Yeah, for sure. So we, the, the first, uh, first seven years of the business, we built, um, we built in the same space, a, a different product, uh, with a top down, uh, annual contract go to market. And yeah, we got to kind of high teens in ARR, um, and 150 ish people, um, before realizing like we can't build a generational breakout business with that product and that go to market. And so we did a, uh, what could <laughs> euphemistically be called a pivot, um, uh, it was a pretty hard pivot. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of had to let go of two thirds of the team, entire go to market organization changed, uh, like, you know, totally changed go to market and, and built a brand new product. And we did that three years ago, new products been in market for about two years. Um, so, yeah. So walk me through that. How did you have to, like, 
what was the slap in the face where you're like, okay, we got to get rid, rid of two thirds of your team. And that's gotta be hard, man. Cause those are, you build that up. You, you got a good business. I mean, only 1% of SaaS companies make it over that 10 million mark and you're high teens. So like, how, how did it get to the point where it's so bad? You're like, we gotta, we gotta redo this thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem for us, you know, and, and, and the, the key with every SaaS business is net dollar retention. Right. And so, Lots of nuanced reasons uh, uh, comes down to the product wasn't good enough. Um, uh, and yeah, we basically never got net dollar retention high enough to, to build a great business. And as anyone who's who's in SaaS knows, like once you get to large ARR numbers without really great, like north of 110%, certainly north of 100% net retention, you, you have to start spending a lot of energy just to refill the revenue you know, each year. And basically, I just saw the writing on the wall. We 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 started to kind of explore the market to raise our Series C, and I realized, you know, like okay, th- that was really the trigger. I, I realized, like, oh, it's, we're just going to be treading water here. Like, we're going to have to keep raising bigger and bigger rounds to hire bigger and bigger go-to-market organizations. Um, and I realized that, like, look, in the first seven years of the business, we just hadn't we hadn't been able to do two things. And, and I think that's a, that's a common misconception, right? Like it, you can't get product market fit once you start hyper growth. Like that just doesn't work. Like you, you're locked into the core of the product. And, and so, yeah, I realized that we needed to do something really radical. And the reason that we did it rather than like, for example, sell at that point or, you know, sell to private equity or something like that, the reason we did it is because we, we had such conviction that the market was still unsolved, you know, and we'd, we'd learned a lot in the first seven years. And although the product was wrong and the go to market was ultimately wrong, you know, that was what got us through. That's what enabled me, frankly, to, <laughs> to withstand the, the traumatic experience of, of, of making that decision and being the, the evil bad guy for a couple of years, you know, because I just thought, like, I really do believe that we can build a, a massive business here. Um, but yeah, it was savage. It, it was a, it was a foundational moment for everyone involved, you know, and, and if you look at the people, a lot of the people at the company today lived through that experience. And, and there's definitely some kind of like trauma bonding that went on, you know, the, the team is unbelievably close. Um, and a lot of that is because of <laughs> having to, you know, come in one day to work and, and be like, yeah, by the way, two, two out of three of your, your friends and colleagues, um, no longer work here, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hell of an experience and obviously timely, right? Because a lot of our, our peers are going through that at the moment. Yeah. So what was your turn at the time when you had made that decision? Yeah. So we never really got much above 85% net dollar retention. Oh, okay. So your, your total, and what was your like NR or would you call NDR the same as and our yeah 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 okay. so net revenue retention never got much above 85 percent. i think logo was like you know 80 ish percent renewal or something like that so yeah we never we never you know the premise with us was like the we thought that we could kind of surround the product with professional services you know kind of like really good onboarding, a bunch of other stuff. Because ultimately, you know, in our space, right, in QA, it's like a lot of B2B SaaS. You, the, the customer wants to buy an outcome, which is better quality and less bugs. And you want to sell them 
your shiny platform, <laughs> right? And it's like, sadly, <laughs> there's, a, there's actually a disconnect. Like they have to do a bunch of work on your shiny platform to get the outcome. And by the way, that work has to be good, right? Like in our case, like the testing has to be good. The tests have to be well-written. The test suite has to be smartly architected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, basically a lot of, a lot of customers in that scenario are like, well, can't you just use it for us and we'll pay you? You know, and so so we started going down that path. You know, when we when we did our pivot, our go to market organization was professional services. It was onboarding. It was um, account management, customer success. You know, there was, was a lot of humans trying to paper over the, the fundamental issue in the product, and and that's what we realized over time is like you can't build an amazing um, generational business reselling human hours. Or, or you can, but the opportunity to do that was like 50 years ago, you know, <laughs> and those businesses are just gradually fading into obscurity, even though they're called like Accenture and TCS and Wipro and Infosys, you know, the, the, they are huge generational businesses, but that that's not a, that's not an option available to entrepreneurs today. Um, you think so, even with like, you know, all the freelancing businesses and, coaching platforms and things like that you just think that's going to die on the vine because it's going to get whittled down so much or why do you think that well i think that <clears throat> i think there's probably a subtle distinction between like marketplace business and and like a, a SaaS product that doesn't have good enough product market fit to stand on its own two feet you know i think okay. if 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 you know if, if the software is creating connection between skilled providers and demand, that then I think that's a phenomenal business, you know, or can be a phenomenal business. But yeah, in our case, and I think actually, frankly, in a lot of B two B SaaS, the the product isn't good enough to solve the full problem for the end user. And so, what you have to do is you have to surround the the user with all of this, you know, human help. And the logic is always the same. I mean, I've seen this story across dozens of businesses. The, the logic is always the same. Hey, in the short term, we're just going to insert some people to paper over the cracks in the product, and we're going to fix it in the product based on our learning, right? But guess what happens? Like hyper growth happens, if you're lucky. And then you ain't papering over nothing. That that professional services person who was going to you know, pilot out a new kind of like onboarding system for your product you're like, okay, maybe we need four more of those professional services people, <laughs> you know, and and that's essentially where we found ourselves. But I, I don't want to also imply that it was anything other than my own strategic failure, right? Like, it's not like, oh, if our professional services people had been better, it would have worked. Like, no, definitely not. The the decisions was inevitable. It just, you know, it, it just like took me a long time to realize. Wow. That's it. I mean, I get and it's that's easy to wrap your head around or my head around, but it's hard to wrap my head around at the same time because there's there's a lot of I mean literally I'm not going to say who it was I was just talking to a founder that is eight figures and that's their number one biggest problem was was like like literally right before I got on the phone with you like like half hour ago he's like my number yeah. one problem is like our we're, we're facing the headwind because our NRR isn't good and yeah. like, we don't have any built-in growth with our product. It's always like new customers or renewal or we can expand, but there's not built-in NRR. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. 
They're, yeah, I mean, there's plateaus. There's levels to this game, Ryan. Right? Like you've seen it yourself. Like you, you know, it, you, when you're at zero, you like to get to one. To get to one mil ARR is impossible, <laughs> and then you get there, and then you're like, to get to two is improbable. And but like you know, what we experienced is we, honestly growth was kind of like easy for us. Like it was a lot of hard work. There's a lot of great smart people solving big, meaningful full problems, right, on the go-to-market side. But, you know, I think what you see is that at a certain level, probably high teens, you plateau unless you can get strong 100% plus minimum net revenue retention, you know. And I, I think if you look at you look at the great businesses, they're doing 150% plus. Um, and, and I think that that is down to product market fit. And, you know, that's, I think, the thing that's really easy to forget when you do B2B SaaS, right, especially when you're selling annual contracts, because you really can execute your way to 10 plus mil with just a, a, a sliver of product market fit. And, and ultimately, that's what we did. And it's very hard as a founder, right, especially venture backed, because you, you've raised the money based on the revenue projections, right? And, and ultimately, the revenue projections are made by putting quota carrying reps in seat. And if you can generate the leads and the opportunities for them, you can close the revenue, you know? And so as you know, all too well, like executing go to market is a hundred percent of the focus of the business. Once you get to like 20 reps and, uh, you know, kind of a couple of mil, um, a couple of mil per month. It, I mean, it's like it, 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 you can't do anything else other than just handle new customers, deal with all the shit that's breaking, you know? And so I think that's the paradox is that we all tell ourselves like, Oh, you know, as we get more resources, as we get more customers, as we raise more money, we can hire more engineers, we can solve this thing. And, and I've just never seen it done, you know? And so I think that's, I, I would be very afraid if I was that founder you were speaking to, you know, because I think it's much, much better to be at like two mil ARR and be like, my net revenue retention is shitty. I need to fix it because then you can pump the brakes and then you probably don't even have a board. Or if you do, the board is still early stage guys and they'll be like, okay, whatever, let's fix the product market fit. But listen, once you're 10 plus, you've got like series B people on the board they're spreadsheet investors and they're not interested in you taking a, an 18 month journey in the desert <laughs> to, to find the true meaning of your product. You know, like they you sold them a dream and that dream was doubling revenue, my friend. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's why so many of these businesses and, you know, rainforest was almost one of them, right? Um, so many of these businesses blow up because you get trapped in, in trying to execute against that exponential revenue growth curve. Um, and you forget that the companies that you're modeling after, right, the slacks of the world, they didn't execute go-to-market to get that exponential hyper growth. They, they had insane product market fit, you know, and, and I think that's something that often gets lost in translation from, you know, the model building to the building, the company building. And, and there's a very big disconnect between those two things. And it's easy to, to misunderstand that, especially when, when you're a first time founder. Okay. So since, you know, you, you told you made a strategic execution, you know, strategic mistake, right. In terms of handling that yeah. now that mm. you went through that, you got to the high teens, you had to lay off two thirds of your company and you're starting all over 
with making sure that you have that NRR growth. Like what's what's the roadmap to make that a reality for anyone who's starting or earlier in the journey than kind of where you're at? Yeah. So, I mean, the short version is, uh, I think a, a good mental model for product market. Well, the short version is great product market fit is the roadmap. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get and, that, right? How do you get great product yeah. market fit? Let's dig into that. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, so the, the key point is don't start scaling go-to-market before you have great product market fit. And great product market fit is a single thing. It's net revenue retention. That's it. You know, there's a lot of other stuff, but, like, that's the, that's the truth. That's the score on the door, you know. So as a founder, do not pass go. Do not start hiring sales reps. Do not raise a, a round of, of, you know, funding against future revenue growth until you know you have product market fit. And that's the number one thing. Now, yeah, exactly. How do you know that? And wait, revenue retention. Real, How do real you get quick, real quick, Fred? So, what's the minimum Sorry. threshold then you would look for at that stage, like to to make sure, like you said, would you say one hundred and ten percent? Would you look one hundred and fifteen? Like, what's what would you say is like the minimum? I think at the early days when you're still like when 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 we're looking at like you know the first ten twenty core customers that you're speaking to every week that you know all of them by name they're invested in you they're early adopters you've got to be north of 120 percent at that point right because okay. it's probably not really going to go much up and i think you know david Sachs provides some good benchmarks here i think for him the great is like 150 percent plus yeah, you know good is 120 percent i think yeah, world class yeah. is like 140 to 160 Snowflake was yeah. at 200 before they went public. And I think they dropped down 160%. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. So anyways, all right, keep going, man. You're on a roll. I just wanted a little yeah. more detail with what you're talking. Yeah, you're, yeah, of course. Of course. Really yeah, sorry, stuff, yeah. So yeah, the, the train has left the station. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I think the, uh, the mental model that I've found kind of useful is, is, is to think about product market fit as basically being like magic. Um, and so you're trying to uncover the magic, right? And so your, your, your job as an early stage company is to go on a journey to search for that magic. And, and the input, the output is net dollar retention. <laughs> the input mm -hmm. is experimentation, right? And, and, um, there's this guy, John Danner, who I think is, is encapsulated this whole kind of idea extremely extremely well and essentially the idea is what's the tightest experimentation loop you can get to if you go to john Danner's twitter his pin tweet is his product market fit matrix framework thing and like, how do you go and read that and copy it how do you spell that i didn't d-a-n-n-e-r john danner yeah um, he's a founder now he's a VC. He's, he's extremely good thinker on this, but yeah, in essence, it, it's searching for the magic. And so I, I think the point is, is this, you can't really, um, create product market fit. You can just uncover it. And so it, it's a subtle thing, but if you think that you can get to product market fit by building features, for example, you can't, right? There's not like an additional feature that is going to suddenly make this ultra compelling. Like you have, like most ideas fail and most startups fail because most startups never get to strong product market fit. And the reason is, is because like in most cases, 
there's a little hint, there's a little flame, right? Like, oh, this idea is interesting. People have this problem. Lots of people are like trying to solve the problem. They'll talk to you. They're interested in it. They'll use it. They'll even pay for it, right? But it takes something really special to build an amazing business. And and there's so many dynamics. A lot of them can be measured through kind of like a go-to-market funnel, right? But at the end of the day, it boils down to net revenue retention. And so basically you got to go on a journey <laughs> of constant experimentation and look at what what works and double down there you know so so for us um we the first version of rainforest was like no code crowdsource testing okay and 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 that's the thing we scaled you know that's the thing you know that we went kind of to the moon until we did it and you know that's a perfect example where like there was a hint of product market fit there, right? Like obviously. And, and a lot of that was about the value prop VPs of engineering hate QA teams and they all are unsatisfied with their quality. So it's kind of easy to sell them like, Hey, pay us 60 grand. You'll get better quality through this platform. They're like, Hey, why not? I'll try it. Like, let's do that. But you know, what, what then comes to pass is that it's not actually, it doesn't actually solve their problem in a high enough percentage of cases to get to 120% net mm. revenue retention, right? <laughs> and so, you know, when we did the pivot, we spent, and, you know, frankly, we're still spending a little bit, we spent two years just iterating around the idea of, okay, we realized that the no-code piece worked, right? We had product managers, designers, developers using the product, they didn't need QA teams. That part worked. Um, but the crowd testing piece was was not working. And so what we thought was, okay, if we make this kind of no-code idea to automated testing, right, where you have much cheaper, much faster test execution, maybe somewhere in there, there there's, there's, this, there's the real magic of product market fit. And so you can imagine we, we broke the team down into small product squads, we gave each of them an area to experiment against. And then we said like, go, you know, and like every week we have to run a new experiment and see how the funnel performs, right? See how the new users who are coming in the top of the funnel, how they take to it. And at some point we got basically no code automated testing. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of nuances to it, of course, but at a high level, at some point we suddenly saw net dollar retention skyrocket. We suddenly saw the leading indicator to that, which was like user retention and then test run retention, right? Like the thing that is QA, the activity, we suddenly saw all of that like spike and we suddenly saw the cohorts start to grow. And that was after probably 18 months of just trying different stuff around that idea, you know? And so I think that's the key thing that I would really recommend to, to everyone who is a founder, because at the end of the day, you know, and, and this is not necessarily something that investors like to hear, but at the end of the day, capital is infinite. Um, the, the only finite resource is, is our time. And so, you know, as a as an early stage founder, you, you're kind of like clawing your way to each milestone, right? And it's easy to think that fundraising is success. It's easy to think that crossing these ARR thresholds is success. But at the end of the day, you're just prolonging your own <laughs> struggle if you're if you're scaling a business without strong product market fit. And and I think that's something that 
is really, really an anti-pattern that's prevalent in, in B2B SaaS especially. And, and that's something that was 100% what we did and what I did. So, yeah, it was, it was a very painful way to spend seven years learning that lesson. You know, and, and I think we're just very lucky that we have supportive investors and it's such a strong team that we've been able to do like version two of the company and honestly, like fix a lot of those mistakes that we made first time round, right? Like now, you know, the last... Last three years, we, we've, we're about 38 people, I think 39 maybe, and we have one marketing person and one salesperson. And the rest of the team is focused on the product, and that's it. You know, And, and if you look at us when we crossed a mill in the first version of the business, <laughs> it was already at that point like almost half and half, like sales, marketing, and then product and engineering, you know. So it, it gives you a sense of how, it, like, the different prioritization that I did as a, as a leader back then. Um, and, you know, the lessons learned informing, like, how to actually build the business through through how to build the organization, right? Like, where are you spending your time on? Wow. That's deep, man. So, so what are you projecting the growth now that you've made – those adjustments and I, I love your 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 framework and your breakdown and my my wireless keyboard started uh started it broke down it stopped working in the middle of conversation so I, I had to go hybrid with old school and then type it in nice. but basically I had you know where you went you want to strive for minimum 120 when you start 120 NRR you want to definitely focus on that then you want to have different I like how you did different product squads and get yep. feedback in terms of like where where did just not the usage, but where did the 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 individual users start to expand because of it? And so, where do you yep. see this going? You know, because you made this shift in terms of your growth projections over the next few years. Yeah, I mean, so for us, it's all about like for for me, it's all about protecting the organization from shifting away from that experimental iterative phase, right? Because what, what we see in our business is our overall net retention number is really good, right? But that's being driven by a subset of our, our customers. And it's actually about a quarter of our customers that are <laughs> at about 390% net revenue retention. Um, and, and, that's, and so we have this like core of about a quarter of our customers. We, we call them super fans, and, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's, there's basically a usage pattern that those customers exhibit, um, that we haven't managed to get the other 75% of our customers to do. And so, you know, we, we ultimately QA is a developer tool. And what you see with developer tools is you can get, ex, you know, e.g. Snowflake, you, you see that you can get exceptional revenue retention, um, if you become really sticky and if you figure out pricing and, so basically what our, our whole roadmap, like the only thing we're going to do for the next two years <laughs> is figure out how to expand the, the proportion of our users who are using us in that way. Right. And, and that's it. And so, you know, we do have some like, you know, obviously we have like cash planning and cash models and everything else. But from my perspective, the only reason that exists is to make sure we don't run out of money and to make sure that we can raise money. But like the actual job, is to improve the quality of that product market fit by expanding the proportion of people who are like super fans. And so it's a total non-answer, Ryan, but like, I think that's the, that's the truth, right? Like in other words, we could easily take what we have now 
and triple revenue for the next three years just by executing on go-to-market, like easily. Um, like we did that before. I know how to do it. You know how to do it. Like, you, you know, it, that's, that's easy to do at this scale. Um, but we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to do it completely organically, as in it's going to be totally driven by the expansion of the cohorts and then just a completely self-serve motion driven by, by SEO. Um, so, yeah, right now, uh, like our, I think our financial projection shows us like doubling revenue the next few years, you know, but that's like that's completely trash if we get to the product market fit that we should, right? Like, because if we do, like, for example, if we get to 50% of our customers are using us like that core cohort, then our revenue doubles every year just from existing users, you know? So, so then we should be massively out, outperforming that, right? But if we can't, if, if, if actually there isn't more magic to be uncovered here, right? If, if, if we can't find that, that additional magic, then, then revenue growth is irrelevant. Like then this isn't a business and you know, then <laughs> like, then it's game over, you know? And so I, I think that's for me. And, and maybe this point, maybe I'm not articulating this point well, because it is kind of subtle, but I do think that the key point is this, is that you, your job is to uncover the product market fit and it, it you can't force it. Like there, there is a finite number of problems in the world where there, there is enough motivation and the pain is sufficient and you can actually build a software solution to it that can become a generational software company, you know, and, and, and the job is to find out as quickly as possible, whether, whether your business is going to be one of those or not. Well, I could talk with you about this for another hour, but we're up on time right now. <clears throat> so where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and, and Rainforest QA? Uh, rainforestqa.com. Um, yeah, if, you, if you're a company with, um, that ships software frequently, um, then yeah, check us out. We're, we're probably better than what you're doing right now. QA is an insanely stupid and broken industry. It, it's uh, ask 10 VPs of engineering, whether they're happy with their QA and you'll, you'll hear 10 no's, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely check out rainforestqa.com. Um, and then you can check me out on Twitter if you want. <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily recommend it, but, um, yeah, slide into my DMS. If you have any questions, um, I, I love chatting to founders, learning from people, sharing, sharing some of these mistakes that we've made along the way. Love that, man. Well, it was awesome having you on. It was, a, it was a good time, Fred. So thanks for being on the show. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Pleasure, Ryan. Thanks. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.